That's such a great video. Love that. So good. Um, great worship, great video. Pressure's on me now, right? <laughs> uh, well, we're going to continue in our series, Miraculous. We kicked this series off last week, and uh, man, just, just a powerful message last week. You know, I was really challenged by it myself. Uh, we're spending some time looking at the major miracles from God in the Bible. You know, these are the, these are the miracles that impacted more than one person, more than, one, more than just a small group of people, but pretty much impacted the entire world. And, and the goal of this is to see the miraculous, right? Uh, we look at the miracle, we spend some time in the miracle, but we want to see the miraculous. And that's the whole point of, you know, especially this holiday season, is to see God, to see the miraculous, to get our focus on Him. I want to start off this morning by asking you this. Have any of you experienced problems with technology? <laughs> sure, yeah. Just about everybody. You know, it may be a TV at... For some of you, it may be uh, VCR if you're still using that, right? Uh, maybe a computer, you know, uh, maybe a cell phone, something like that. I think we've all experienced trouble with technology. Sometimes I get frustrated with my kids' stuff. You know, the, the battery-powered stuff, sometimes it's so difficult to use, I get so frustrated with it. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had uh, trouble with our Internet at home. And it was during a time when I was uh, taking some classes. And so it's so frustrating to count on the Internet. And, uh, you know, it goes out something like that. So I called, called Verizon and uh, spent probably an hour on the phone with them trying to figure it out. And at the end, you know, nothing worked. Nothing, nothing worked at all. None of the solutions. I walked through everything. I was very patient with, with this person uh, who, who didn't really speak a very good English. You know, I don't either, but, you know... Uh, it was hard uh, to understand the other person. But uh, in the end, he said, well, Mr. Collier, let's try this. Let's try restarting the router. I'm thinking, why didn't you tell me that? Like an hour ago, like something so, so simple, you know, I could have done a long time ago. But you know what? I did it, and it worked. It worked. And so now I don't even call. I just, I just hit restart. Most of the time that works, right? But isn't it funny? You know, we do the same things with our TVs, with our computers. Sometimes all it takes is a simple restart, and that fixes the problem. With our phones, simple restart, and things are running smoothly again. What we're talking about today is the Great Flood. The Great Flood. And really, when you think about it, what God did with creation was hit restart with the flood. Yeah, I just want to tell you this morning, before I begin, we all know this story. I would say 99%, if not more, closer to 100, know this, this story, the story of the Great Flood, the story of Noah. And I, it isn't a cute story. I think we've, we've made it, we've morphed it into a children's bedtime story. And we've, we've put, you know cartoon figures and stuff like that. We've tried to make it as nice and as, as kid-friendly as possible, but it's not. This is an eye-opening story, is the way we need to uh, describe this. It, it, it is one of the most terrifying and tragic stories of God's wrath in all of the Bible. All, all of the Bible. And this is a miraculous event 
in which the entire world was wiped out, except for one person in his family, right? And that's how we need to view this. That's how we need to approach this. And I've struggled with this ever since I've been I've struggled with this story. You know, why would God do that? How would God allow something like this to happen? You know, that's not the God that I think I know, right? That's not the God that I want to know. Um, why? Why would, this, why would this happen? Well, you know, last week we looked at creation, and we looked at how God created everything, and it was good. Remember that? And God created mankind, and it wasn't until after mankind that God said it was very good. So what happened from good to very good to the flood? What happened? Well, the, the problem wasn't on God's end. We know that. But remember, we talked about mankind being the prized creation, the, the top out of all of God's creation. The best from what God made was man. The problem was with that. The problem was God's prized creation with mankind. Mankind was to blame. And so what I want to do is just gradually this morning walk through some truths, and maybe we can see this story from another lens this morning, maybe from God's perspective, okay? So let's look at how it all started. Well, it started with this, man's sin. Man's sin. We know that God created Adam. God created Eve. They were the first individuals. We saw how that took place last week. Um, God gave them so many blessings. God created the world and gave it to man. Gave it to them. Everything. So many blessings, only one thing that they couldn't have. One thing, one tree, out of all those many blessings. Stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were giving, given everything except for that. Well, man fell because of that. Man fell into temptation. They disobeyed God. The one thing they, they couldn't have, they chose to take. And so... God created everything good on his end. God created man very good, you see. But God also created man with the ability to choose. We would call that free will, I guess. That's what it means to be human, is to have the ability to choose. And man chose to disobey God, and what happened through that disobedience was sin was brought into the world for all mankind. That intimate, perfect relationship with God, between God and man, was greatly affected. That, that relationship with creator God and prized creation could no longer exist. Why? Why? Three words, and these are so important, these three words. God is holy. Three words. God is holy. And we sort of got an idea of what holy, holy means. Sacred set apart, revered. That's, those are words to describe holy. It is this truth, God's holiness, that is the main issue when it comes to understanding the flood. And if we understand and if we comprehend and think about what took place in the garden, then, then we can understand and we can comprehend and we can think about what took place in the flood and we can make, make the connection. Disobedience, sin, Evil, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, led to devastating consequences because God is holy. God is holy. 
And so after creation, after everything was created good, man was created very good, but man chose to sin because God is holy. That led to consequences. Genesis 3.23, what happened is this. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. You know, Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden. And we just read right past that. But what, the Garden was the center of God's creation. The Garden was the center of God's blessing and provision. And guess who was at the center of the Garden? Man. Man was banished from the center of God's blessing. The, uh, and immediately we see things changing for them. We see instead of enjoying work, instead of enjoying the rest of creation, there was toil, there was hardship, there was suffering, there was pain, there was even death. That's what happens when you're outside of the center of God's blessing because God is holy. And it wasn't just for them, it wasn't just for Adam and Eve, but all who would come after them, all who would come through them, their offspring. You know, we read about Cain and, and Abel and how Cain killed Abel out of jealousy and anger. We see that from the very beginning because they were outside of the center of God's blessing. Because there was sin in the world. This went on and on and on. And so after Adam and his family began to grow, right? Began to multiply, so did the sin of man. More people, more sin. It was that simple. And you know, you fast forward 1,065 years to the time of Noah. And you know what's interesting? Adam almost lived long enough to see Noah. I know we think there's this big gap in between there, but Adam lived, I think, 960 years, something like that. Noah was in the year 1065. Interesting. That uh, just a little over 100 years, um, you know, Noah missed seeing Adam walk the earth. It wasn't that long. But by this time, think about it. People lived longer, had huge families. The world was in serious trouble because sin had spread so far and wide. And this is, what, this is where we find, uh, what we find happening in Genesis 6-5. Look at that with me. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And listen to this. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's what the world had become. In other words, by the time of Noah, all the world had become wicked. Evil and wickedness had spread tremendously. The world was a mess. And man had created it that way. Man had made it that way. You know, how would this affect God? How would this affect Creator God? Would it have no effect on Him? Would He just sit back, not caring what happened, not, not concerned with what was going on with creation? The answer is no. Uh, we see that this affected Him tremendously. This affected Him greatly. The sin of the world, the sin of His creation, brought grief to God. And that's what I want to talk about next, God's grief. Look at Genesis 6.6. 6. Very troubling verse here. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on this earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. You know, regretted. 
does, does this mean that God made a mistake? You know, sometimes we make mistakes and we regret making those decisions, right? Because it's a mistake on our part. But let me ask you this. Was the mistake on God's part? Did God mess up? You know, the Bible was very clear that God, when he was done, it was good. He rested on the seventh day. His work was done. It was very good. He didn't make the mistake. Man did. God was hurt by man's mistakes. He was so hurt that he regretted creating man. Imagine that. You know, from the garden and up to this point, over a thousand years of sin, from each and every person, everything was having an effect on God. He was grieving over every single sin. And that phrase there, deeply troubled, in the original language is the same phrase used in describing the emotion felt when a spouse is unfaithful. I don't mean to bring up, uh, open up hard wounds. The point I'm trying to make is you know how God felt. You know that. If it hasn't, if you haven't experienced that or you don't know how that is, just think about it. Gut-wrenching hollow, empty, sick feeling down deep in your gut. That's the way God felt. This is telling us that God was literally heartbroken over sin. He was saddened at what his prized, prized creation had chosen to become. The sinfulness of humanity broke God's heart. The human race, think about this that had been made in his own image, had become devastated by sin. So what would God do, right? How, how would God react to this? Would he allow this to continue? The answer is no, he wouldn't. So let's look at God's judgment. Because mankind's wickedness had become so great, God made a decision to do something about it, you see. And Genesis 6-7 says, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Here we see God's judgment. Here we see God's decision on what to do with all of creation. He decided to get rid of it all. All. To get rid of it all. Since mankind, the prized creation, had become had become so evil, all of the things of the earth as well had become polluted. I hope you see that. Since man was at the top, everything from the top down was affected. I mean, how could God do this? How could God make the decision to wipe out humanity? You know, remember the fundamental truth that goes back to the garden. God is holy. God is holy. Just like in the garden, the holiness of God demands what? Justice. Demands justice. The holiness of God cannot allow evil, cannot allow wickedness, cannot allow sin to prevail. It can't. Otherwise, God would not be holy, and then God would not be God, you see. Something had to be done. So what God decided to do was to wipe the slate clean, to get rid of it all. Humans, animals, Everything. Instead of hitting restart, instead of starting over, God wanted to completely erase it. Erase it all. 
But thank God that didn't happen. You know, if you look around, we're evidence that God didn't do that. Aren't you thankful? Well, what did happen? You see, here's another truth, another three-word truth. God is holy, but also God is gracious. God is gracious. And so I want to talk about God's grace. Genesis 6, 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, God had just determined, right? We just saw God's judgment. He had just determined that the entire human race needed to be wiped out. In actuality, the human race deserved, deserved to be wiped out. But just as it seemed that was the end for humanity, you know what appeared? Grace. Grace appeared. Noah found favor with the Lord. And, and the Bible tells us that Noah was a righteous man among the people of his time. Not perfect. Not perfect. Sometimes we give Noah way too much credit. But out of the people, out of humanity during his time, he was an okay guy. He was a decent guy. We would call him a good old boy. You know what made Noah righteous? Wasn't what he did before, but what he did as soon as God spoke to him. That's what made Noah righteous. He believed God. God told him that he was going to destroy the world. You know what? Noah believed him. And God told him to build this big boat. Guess what Noah did? Obeyed. He obeyed him. And God told him to prepare the boat for all these animals. Imagine that. You know, imagine, well, it's one thing to build the boat for me and my family, but now I've got to build it for animals. What if you, what if you don't like animals? What if you're one of those people? Right? You know what he did? He followed through. He followed through. And Noah built this huge boat, and I want you to understand this. He built it in the mountains. It'd be like building a boat on top of this hill. He did that. Not anywhere close to water. Nowhere close. He built it. It it would have taken Noah decades, at least, at a minimum, decades to build this boat. And prepare it for the animals. And, And this is something that he would have had to devote his whole life to. In order to accomplish. And he did it. And you know what? Probably facing ridicule every single day. By not just strangers, probably friends and family. That's what, that's what Noah did. That's why he was credited as righteous, because of what he did after the Lord. Noah's faith and obedience to the Lord paid off in the end, and, and so he finished the ark, and Genesis 7, 1 says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, you see here, because I have found you righteous. In this generation, after the ark was finished. And just notice that God is saying, go into the ark. This whole time, this whole time, creator God, holy God, gracious God is leading them. Leading Noah, instructing him along the way. Go into the ark. Because of Noah's faith and obedience, he found favor with the Lord. And so the Lord saved Noah and his family from the judgment that would come upon the earth. And just in case that you think Noah saved himself... Scripture in Genesis chapter 7, it's not on the screen, but it says this, the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut the door, you see. Noah may have built the boat, but the Lord shut the door. The boat wouldn't have got very far without that. The Lord put the finishing touches on it. 
the Lord made salvation complete in this process. Well, after Noah and his family were safe aboard the ark, and after the Lord had shut the door and placed his seal of blessing upon the boat, then the floods came. The floods came. And, and, and there are over 200 cultures that speak of a great flood and a family that was saved. That's amazing, isn't it? That, that can't be made up. That's long before the days of instant messaging. There's no way that many cultures could come up with a story like that if it wasn't true the floods came it it rained from the sky it it came from the ground too springs burst forth water came from heaven and earth for 40 straight days and it rained until everything on earth was completely covered even the highest mountain completely covered everything on earth perished Every person outside of the ark, outside of the boat, perished. Complete and utter destruction. I know this is hard to comprehend. I, th- I, th- I thought about it all week. But this is the result of sin. You know. What we have to do is we have to think about this. God followed through on his decision. Remember, he made the judgment to cleanse the world, to wipe it all out. God followed, followed through on that, but on the, same, on, the, on the same side, on the other side, actually, he followed through on his commitment to Noah to save him and his family. You see, out of everyone on earth, Noah and his family were saved and given a new opportunity to flourish. So a- after the waters receded, right, and the boat came to rest... We find Genesis 8, 15. I just want you to read through this with me. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. You know, when we think about the flood and we think about how devastating that it is. And we think about how horrific the loss of human life is. It's miraculous. It's miraculous. You might say, why? Well, because God sent this great flood to destroy all humanity, to wipe them completely out because of their evil. But in the end, God showed grace in allowing it to continue, you see. The, the world deserved to be destroyed. That's what we have to see. The world deserved that, but God showed mercy and grace. You and I are here today because God showed grace. Did you know that? And uh, God allowed an, uh, animals to continue too. You know, you may have, be an animal lover. You know, you may have a pet that you consider part of your family. That's God's grace. When you think about it, God allowed humans to continue. It doesn't matter if you're a believer in Christ or not. God showed you grace. If you enjoy pets, God showed you grace through that. Um, God hit restart 
and, and through his justice, but I also want you to see that through his grace, allowed humanity another opportunity to be the people he created them to be. And, and so after this great flood, it really was a devastating event. After this, God made a covenant with Noah, representing a new promise to mankind. So that's what I want to talk about now is God's promise. After Noah and his family left the ark, they came out. Humanity began anew. And Noah took some of the animals from the ark and made a sacrifice to God. He specifically took sacrificial animals to sacrifice to God when this was over. And the scriptures tells us that the aroma from that reached God and it pleased him. And so as this relationship between man and God is it was mended, right? God made a promise to man. Let's look at this. Genesis 9-11. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. You know, God promised never to destroy the earth the way he did. He, he promised never again to send a great flood to destroy everything. And this was such an important promise that God repeated it twice. In the same, in the same, uh, in two sentences. And just to make sure that we, that man understood what he was saying and the significance of this new covenant, God signed his commitment in supernatural fashion as only Creator God could. Genesis 9 13. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and look at this, it will be a sign. God placed his signature in the sky. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So God made this promise verbally, right? He, he spoke it out, and then God set the rainbow in the sky for man to see. And the word rainbow is actually the word, the word bow. We, we just put rain in there with it so we can be more familiar with it. But it's, it's the word bow, and what it means is war bow. War bow. A warrior's bow. It's like God is saying, I'm hanging up my bow. I'm hanging it up. I will never again bring a great flood to destroy life on earth. The great bow in the heavens was a sign of peace, of grace, of, of new life. You know, the flood was God's way of hitting reset. It was a way of starting over. And through it, we see the miraculous. We, we see the holiness of God, but we also see the amazing grace of God, and that's the point. That's the point of this story, to see God's holiness, but to also see God's grace. But here's the thing, and I'm going to transition to closing here, probably spend another five minutes, maybe ten on this. Here's the thing, even after all this, there was still a major problem. You see, ultimately, the flood didn't fix the problem of sin. It didn't. The flood was only a temporary solution to the problem. It wasn't a permanent fix. And what is amazing about this is that God knew it all along. I want you to look at this verse with me. Genesis 8, 21. This is after the flood. And as God is making his promises to Noah, to man, it says this, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as, as I have done. You see, in between these two never, never again statements is a startling truth. That even though God hit restart on creation, the human heart was still the same. 
You see that? The landscape of the entire world had, had changed. Everything in the world had changed. The condition of the human heart was still the same. It hadn't changed. Before the flood, it didn't matter. After the flood, it didn't matter. The human heart was still corrupt. Still the same. So even though God promised never to send a flood, something still needed to be done to fix the problem. There still needed to be a permanent solution. What? What What would that be? Let's see, in this story, this story points to the remedy. This story leads us to think what God will do. A future miracle that is miraculous a a hint of the answer to the problem was literally placed in the sky the rainbow you know yes it was a sign of God's promise never to destroy the world with a flood but it was also a clue a hint of what God's ultimate plan was to rid the world of sin you see the warrior bow was pointed in which direction to the heavens, to the heavens, indicating that God himself would take the fall for man. That God would suffer for the sin of humanity. That he would be the one to take the punishment for sin. You see, the story of the great flood points us to a greater Savior. And that's Jesus. And Jesus is the permanent solution. And very quickly, I just want to, there's so many of these, if you think about it, if you start writing these down, of how Jesus is linked to the story of Noah and the great flood. Actually, you can link Jesus to all the Old Testament. You'd run out of time. I mean, you you, you honestly wouldn't have enough time to do all that. I just want to share with you a few things that stood out to me. And you can just see Jesus in this being the permanent solution. Just like God's plan was to send the ark to save Noah, I want you to understand this. Jesus is the vessel of salvation. And the whole purpose of the ark was what? Catch some fish? Right? Go on a cruise? What was it? To save mankind. That's it. To save creation, that was the whole point. That was the whole purpose of the ark. And the whole point, the whole purpose of Jesus coming to this world was salvation. Look at John 12, 40, 12 47. Look at this. You can't get out, cannot get any more specific than this. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Very simple. Jesus came to save the world. The whole point of Jesus coming was salvation. Next, Jesus is the door that we go through. You know, the ark had one door. You know, one one large door. One way in, one way out. One way in for salvation, one way out to new life. That's it. John 10, 9. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Look, Look at the language here. They will come in and they will go out and find pasture. Jesus is the door we go through. And look, I just, I want to proclaim this. There is no other way to be saved than through Jesus. There is no other way 
into a new life other than Jesus. He is the door. And just like everyone outside of the ark perished, the Bible teaches us that everyone apart from Christ will also perish. He is the only way to be saved. He is the only door to salvation. There's no other way in the ark, folks. And then this, man, this song that that Jeremy and the praise team sang this morning, so amazing. Jesus' blood is the flood that cleanses. You know, the flood cleansed the earth. The flood cleansed the ground for a little while. But the blood of Jesus cleansed completely. It purified completely. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Look at this. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. All sin. It's not the flood. It's the blood, right? Uh, Think about it this way. The great flood did away with the sinner. The great blood of Christ did away with the sin. That was the problem. And then finally, Jesus is the creator who gives new life. New life. Through the flood, God restarted, didn't he? But through Jesus, God recreated. Big difference. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Many of you know this verse, but in light of what we've studied today, this is what this verse means. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation... Not, not restart. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And there's an exclamation point on the end of that. How many of you are thankful to be saved this morning? Come on, folks. Let's get excited about salvation. Only through Jesus is recreation possible. The new is here. We are to celebrate that. Through Jesus, we have been saved. And we have been given new life. Right? New life. And just like Noah, after he came off the boat, after him and his family were saved, what did they do? Made a sacrifice to God that was pleasing to God. Man, on the other end of our salvation, when we give, place our faith in the Lord and, and we become saved, our lives are to become a living sacrifice, pleasing to God. Our lives are to be laid down for him, you know, I was thinking about this. I was struggling with this sermon this week. I just kept trying to focus on Noah. And that, Noah isn't the point of the story. It's God. However, there's so many things that we can learn from Noah if we're Christians. So many things. Especially on the other side of the cross, on the other side of Calvary for you and me. Man, how obedient to, to God should, should we be? How much more should we be willing to obey God? And listen, we're, I know we're mostly believers here, but if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, please don't ignore these truths that we've talked about today. This isn't a children's story. It's a very real story that shows you God's holiness, but it also reveals to you God's grace. Don't, don't ignore those truths. The thing is, none of us have a guarantee of another day. None of us have another, a guarantee of another breath, right? And, and here's the truth. The thing is this. God is patient. 
It was, it was 120 years approximately from the time God said, told Noah that he would have seen the flood to the time he sent it. Patient. But for only so long. There will come a day when his patience will come to an end. And Jesus is, says this in the Bible. He says this literally. Just like the flood of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Man. The, son, the coming of the Son of Man will come back unexpectedly. There will be many people who are not ready. There will be many people that will miss the boat. And I don't mean that in a funny way. Only those who are inside the ark of Jesus Christ will be saved. My prayer for you is that you don't wait until it's too late. The boat of salvation is already finished. You know what Jesus said? It is finished. It's done. All you have to do is walk through the door by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the truths found in your word. And as we look at this story of Noah and the great flood, you know, most people know this story. But most people fail to realize the significance of it. Father, it's a devastating story. It's a tragic story. But also it's a story in which you show grace and you show love. Father, help us to see Jesus Christ in this story as being the ultimate fulfillment of your promise and the ultimate solution to the problem of sin. And we are so thankful for your son, Jesus, for he came to this world to save. And Father, for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, we are thankful for salvation. There's nothing that we did to earn it. You sent the vessel. You made the way possible. You created the door, and all we have to do is place our faith and trust in you and walk through the door. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has not done that yet, that they do that today, that they do not wait. And Father, may we be like Noah. May we obey when we don't fully understand. May we be faithful when the times are hard, when we're ridiculed by our own friends, when we're hurt by our own family. Father, you bless obedience. You do. And you promise never to leave our side. Father, keep us strong. Keep us faithful. Surround us by your love. Surround us by people who will encourage us. Surround us by people who will strengthen us. Surround us by people who will love us. People that love you. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen.